Um, Steve is going to give us the word this morning. I just want to pray a blessing over Steve. Lord, I thank you for Steve. I thank you for the things that you have put on his heart for this morning. Um, I thank you for the things that you are teaching him through his life experience, through your word, and through his study. And I just pray for your anointing on him today as he shares. And I pray um, that you would give us ears to hear what you want to speak to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Kendra. It's good to see everybody uh, who were back inside with us this morning. It's good to see folks out in the parking lot. And I hope that people are online watching, although I cannot see you, but hopefully you can see me. Um, the last few weeks, we've been covering as a church uh, the five love languages. It's part of our family series we t- traditionally do between the Mother's Day celebration and the Father's Day celebration. We talk about family and their importance um, in our lives. So as part of learning about the five love languages, you know, there's seven weeks in those five weeks, but there's only five love languages. So nobody wanted to repeat any other love languages. So I wanted to talk about the baggage we bring. And what do I mean by that? In any relationship, we all bring baggage of some sort. Now, there's lots of different types of baggage we can bring, some positive, some negative. Sometimes it's self-imposed. Sometimes the baggage we have is what others perceive to be baggage when we don't see it that way. But in part of a relationship, we have to recognize and understand how that affects our significant others, our spouses. How does it affect us in that relationship? You know, what does this baggage do to those relationships, good and bad? And how do we, re- how do we resolve this baggage? Now, as I'm talking about this today, I want to be very clear about this. I'm going to talk about my experiences and my experiences only. I'm not trying to impose on anybody. I'm not trying to share or think I know what's going on in your life. I'm here to share about my experience and how I've dealt with it. And hopefully it'll provide, you know, insight or maybe ideas uh, uh, or a different way of thinking. Because, again, what we see as baggage, others may not. And how we deal with it is important. And while there's a lot of baggage we can talk about, for myself today, I want to focus on three specific types Literal baggage, social baggage, and emotional baggage. Literal baggage. One of the smartest dumb decisions I've ever made in my life was getting a dog in college. Okay. Misha. Some of you, uh, when, when, we, when Diane and I first started coming to the church, some of you remembered Misha. Okay. Uh, she's the Siberian Husky mix up on the screen. Um, I got her when I was in college because uh, a, a female friend, her parents got her for her while she was in college, and I don't know why her parents ever approved of it, but she was going to take her to the, the Philadelphia SBCA and have her put down as a puppy because she, nobody should have a dog in college. And they were going to put her down because she was told she was part wolf. So I was like, no, you can't put that dog down. She's beautiful. She's awesome. I'm going to be stupid and take her, because just like every college kid's needs is a dog. Um, but it, it turned out to be a huge blessing for me. Um, not only, um, you know, my college years were different than my life now for a lot of us. You know, college is different sometimes. I went to college in Philadelphia, 
So I never had any fears walking around anywhere in the city with her, ever. Um, it, was, it was interesting, some of the stories. Um, I also didn't have to walk her that much simply because a lot of my friends wanted to walk her because the members of the opposite sex liked her a lot. So it made, uh, it made creating friendships fairly easy in college, amongst a few other things. Um, and then, then here you see also Baxter. Baxter was another one of my smartest, stupid decisions. Um, I got Baxter when I moved to Lancaster because ne- Misha needed a playmate. When I moved out here, um, I had no connections, no, no you know, real relationships. I came out here um, with $1,200 in my pocket and Misha. So finding a place that I would let me live here with the dog was, was kind of challenging in itself. Um, but after a while, Misha needed a playmate because I was working. I found a job, found a couple jobs. And Misha needed a playmate at home, so Baxter comes into the picture. And they got along great. There's lots of different stories I could tell you about how they interacted and how they played. But one specific story was after, um, uh, after I got Baxter, Misha needed to be spayed. Because she, I'd never had her spayed before because she was never on other dogs. But because I adopted Baxter from the local shelter... They required me to get Misha spayed, which I was okay with because they were paying for it anyway, which was nice. Um, but shortly after that, we were at home, and she was, you know, starting to get out of the medicine, you know, to start to heal a little bit. And Baxter was trying to see, you know, how brave he could be. So he took her toy while she was, while she was recovering. You know, for the first day or two, she didn't do anything about it, whatever, no big deal. But on the third day, when she was finally healed and finally better and back to her normal self, she literally walked up to him after he took it, smacked him with her paw, and took it back. So, you know, I I have lots of stories about that. And the reason I wanted to share this, because, you know, the the challenges of having a dog in college and having another dog uh, when I moved here with finding places... Uh, also affected some relationships. And we see where literal baggage affected relationship for me, but we also see it in the Bible. In Genesis 13, 2, and then 5 through 9, is the story of Abram and Lot. And I'm going to read it here. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. Now Lot, who was moving, with, moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. The possessions that Abram and Lot had turned from blessings, because that's what they were. They were blessings from God. They had turned from blessings into baggage. Because, again, here, uh, Genesis you know, 13, verse 7 and 8, and said, quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. The baggage prevented them, or the, the, the baggage, you know, 
instigated quarreling, instigated conflict. It was no longer a blessing. But Abram, being wise as he was, said to Lot, let's choose. The relationship we have is more important than living in this land together. So Abram makes the first offering. You go this way, I'll go the opposite. You get to choose. Abram recognized the power and the importance of the relationship in this situation. The relationship made, remained intact. And after this happened, God continued to bless both. Well, how does this apply back to Misha and Baxter? Well, when I met Diane, the dogs came with me. And, you know, Diane and I joke about this a little bit. I do more than joking, I think. You know, her idea of a pet growing up was a guinea pig. Guinea pigs were snacks for my dogs. Not literally, but they did get rabbits. So the transition for her into that relationship, what was challenging for her, because she wasn't used to dogs. And, and you know, Misha and Baxter, they weren't these little teacup dachshund kind of dogs. You see them. Um, they were both 40, 50-pound dogs. They liked to jump on you. They were very playful. They were very affectionate. So we both needed to adjust, Diane and I. We both needed to adjust how we were dealing with this relationship because at that time in my life, dogs were very important to me. They provided unconditional love for me going through college, going through challenging times. They were there when I first moved here alone. So it was an adjustment for both of us. So sometimes... With that literal baggage we have, we need to make adjustments. And while I still love Mission Baxter, I made those adjustments. And Diane made those adjustments as well because she knew how important it was. You know, and up on the screen you see the, a Facebook post that Diane put up. Uh, June, July 5th, 2011 is the day we had to put Misha down. She was, she was getting old. She was sick. It was time. You know, saying goodbye to a good friend. If dogs are in heaven, Misha will be there. It's a huge transition. And we had to put Baxter down a few, a few years later. Again, age. It was time. And while I still love dogs, and I know that Diane still loves dogs, not as much as I do. I don't know if she ever will. You know, we've made the decision for our family not to have dogs in our lives right now because they're not as important as our relationship. They're not as important is what God has stored for us in other ways. But it's making that adjustment and being willing and being open to understand and respect. So that literal baggage, the puppies, the dogs. Now I want to talk about what might be described as social baggage. Okay? I mentioned having Misha in college. Again, one of my smartest... Not my, my smartest, dumb decisions. Uh, another decision I, I made that some other people weren't too happy with me was uh, I joined a fraternity in college, Sigma Phi Epsilon, or Sig Ep. Now, when I say the word fraternity in a setting like this, instantly some of you might have judgments. Some of you might have opinions. Depending on how old you are, you might think of the movie Animal House. And I hear some people laughing, so yes, I'm right here. So now, but I also want to ask this question. How many in here or how many watching outside have heard of Dr. Seuss? Raise your hand. How many are fans of Dr. Seuss? 
Would it surprise you to know that Dr. Seuss is a SIGEP? Dartmouth, class of 25. That was the reason I told my mom I joined SIGEP. Hey, Dr. Seuss is a SIGEP. It's cool. It's awesome. Some folks here are laughing, which is, I appreciate it. My mom did not laugh. Because, again, she had the experience. And, you know, just like anything, there's good and bad things about fraternities. I'm very proud of mine. I actually was one of the founding fathers of the SIGEP chapter, chapter at Drexel University. So I have a great love and great affinity for especially the brothers of, of SIGEP at Drexel. And over life, you know, we've developed important bonds. We've done weddings together. We've celebrated births together. We've mourned fraternity brothers who have died. We've mourned parents of fraternity brothers who have died. And just like Misha and Baxter, Diane was not a big fan. She was not a big fan of some of my Sigat brothers in the very beginning simply because it was a different experience for her. But it's important to understand, you know, there's a lot of stories out there. Um, one story that's safe to tell in church was about a New Year's Eve party down in D.C. A uh, fraternity brother and, and you know, moved down to D.C., was working in politics a little bit. And Diane and I go down with the dogs. This was before kids. We go down with the dogs. We were dating at the time. We weren't even married yet. Um, and we have a great time, but it's time to, you know, go to sleep. We're spending the night. Dogs are inside with us, and my buddy throws, you know, back in the day, he threw some good parties. So at 2 a.m., we're like, no, we got to go to sleep. So we go into a, 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 a room on the floor. We had our sleeping bags. Dogs are in there with us. But it also happened to be the coat room, which we didn't realize that. Some people put their coats in there. At about 4 a.m., I think, I don't know, somebody comes in, and they see Misha and Baxter. And they wake up a little bit. And they want to pet Misha. And I'm half awake. I'm like, no, you really don't want to do that right now. She's grumpy. She's mad. And I just said that to get them out of the room. I wanted them to get their coats and get out as quickly as possible. Misha really loved a lot of people. She didn't really bug anybody too much. Well, the dude didn't listen to me. And he went to pet Misha. And she almost bit the guy. Which was kind of funny. Simply because it typically wasn't like her. You know, again, I had her in college. She's used to the, the atmosphere of those, uh, those environments, that, those experiences. But because she was at, at, she was at, at the feet of Diane's sleeping bag, she was protecting Diane. Now, there's a lot of other stories about my fraternity brothers that I, that I, that I have. And, but how does this relate from a biblical experience? Well, if we talk about the 12 disciples in Matthew, 1, or Matthew 10, 1 to 4, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. And it goes continue. It continues first Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, please make no mistake. I am not comparing myself to Jesus, and I'm not comparing my fraternity brothers to the disciples in the sense that you might be thinking I'm trying to. I am not. But when I talk about my fraternity brothers, people tend to have a connotation of negativity. 
But if we look at the disciples, there was a tax collector. There was a zealot. Jesus, and also in Luke 7.34, it says, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. People described who Jesus hung out with in negative ways. It doesn't mean that Jesus was a friend of sinners. or Jesus was a friend of sinners not because he winked at sin, ignored sin, or enjoyed lighthearted revelry with those who engaged in immorality. Jesus was a friend of sinners in that he came to save sinners and was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel, who were opening to learn from Jesus and, and hear and improve their lives. But zealots, Simon the Zealot, zealots of that time were those who were involved with politics and were thought to try to overthrow the government of Rome. They weren't looked highly upon. Tax collectors were seen as cheats. They were corrupt. And these were the people that Jesus was hanging out with. The comparison I want to make is that the people we surround ourselves with If we have good intentions and we want to do good things and we show love to each other. Because Jesus is about love. And that's why I want to go back to my fraternity brothers. There's a core group of us. A couple years ago, we started getting together. We're we're the old heads. A lot of the ones who started it. You see the picture up there now. We've gone through life together. A number of those guys in that picture you see helped to start the fraternity with me. Actually, all of them did. In various forms, all of them did. It's a collective effort. And when you hear the word fraternity brothers, you might go one way. But when I hear the word fraternity brothers, I think of these guys and a few others who aren't in this picture. And I'm talking about them today specifically you know, because I do have love for these guys. But about a month and a half ago, I get a phone call from one of them, because they know how stubborn I am. I get a phone call from one of them, and he was asking, you know, we were talking for a little bit, and he says, hey, you know, this was about the time we were supposed to get together for our monthly, or our, our yearly get-together. We get away for a weekend for a year, the, that group you see in that picture. He says, hey, we were all getting together, and, and you know, talking about instead of getting together this year because of COVID, you know, we want to we wanna give you some money. Because out of this group of guys you see in this picture, and there's one other guy who's not in the picture who also contributed, um, they know that I know I'm the only entrepreneur. You know, one or two guys are now partners in their business that they, they started as employees and bought into. A couple of them work for the government. A couple of them have, you know, longtime family businesses. One works for a pharmaceutical company. But they know that I'm the only true entrepreneur in the group. And they also knew that I lost close to 80% of my business in the middle of March. So one of these guys called me up and said, hey, you know, we want to do this for you. Will you take it? Because they know I'm stubborn. And I said, I said yes. You know, and it, it wasn't an insignificant amount of money. It was a huge blessing that these men did for me and my family. You know, it was just before I, I did end up getting a PPP loan through my business which was a a nice blessing as well. But this was before I knew 
I had been approved for that. After losing close to 80% of my business in the middle of March, just like that overnight. So when other people think of fraternities and think negative things, I think of these men here and a few others. Men I'm proud to call brothers because what they did, it wasn't just about the money. The money was extremely helpful. Don't get me wrong. I'm very appreciative of it. But it was the love that we had for each other. And I know for a fact that not every man in that photo is a Christian. And that's okay. It's the love. They exhibited and showed and took action with love, just as Jesus expects us to do. So not only was it a financial blessing, but it was also an emotional blessing at that time for me and my family. And the, last type, uh, and the last type of baggage I want to share with you is, is, is about emotional baggage. And I have something here I'm going to read because I wrote it earlier this year. And I've never shared it publicly. But that's also why I want to read it you know, word for word because it is that important. Again, this is something I wrote earlier this year. I don't know how to mourn and it scares me. I found out yesterday that my biological father passed away. I didn't cry. I simply went back to watching the Super Bowl. I say biological father because I barely knew the man. Him and my mom got divorced when I was less than a year old, and I didn't meet until I was 32, after the birth of my first, do- uh, first child. We kept in touch, talked on occasion, and I sent him pics of the kids every so often. He sometimes sent birthday gifts and Christmas gifts, especially for the kids, But he was always Mr. Bruce to them, never Grandpa. He hadn't earned that title. I made sure he knew I had forgiven him for abandoning me, but it didn't change the relationship from my perspective. Maybe it should have. I called my mom and let her know. I felt obligated to share that news, even though she hadn't spoken to him in more than 39 years. She was ambivalent. I sent my sister a text she remembered him as a young kid and went so, went so far as to change her last name before she graduated college so his name wouldn't be on anything worth remembering. She hadn't talked with him in more than 39 years either. To her, he wasn't worth remembering. So it was surprising when my sister called shortly after I sent the text in tears. She was quite surprised by her reaction as well. We talked briefly but there wasn't much to talk about. He was never a father, either of us, but obviously neither of us would be here without him. Unlike my sister, I went a different route. I claimed the family name as my own and said I'd make something out of it. And that's what I've done. I was recognized as an all-state athlete in high school, and I played Division I lacrosse in college as a walk-on beating out scholarship players. I earned the rank of Eagle Scout. Now I lead a business that bears the family name, building people and helping them reach their goals. I've earned professional designations and certificates and have received awards. More importantly, I still lead my family. It hasn't been easy leading a family, but I have to make a positive from a negative. That's the path God has me on, still learning. My biological father may be dead, but the name lives on through me and the family I lead. 
The name will continue on through my kids, hopefully, as I lead them in God's footsteps. Pray for me. I still don't know how to mourn. On the screen, you'll see pictures. And I I, want to share this because the flag you see, he was a military veteran. He was buried with full military honors at uh, Fort Mitchell National Cemetery down in Alabama, uh, late February. That flag is at our house now. The pictures you see are from this, uh, the burial ceremony. It was an interesting 58 hours or 48 hours. I drove down one day from uh, here to Alabama. We had the burial service the next day, and I drove home right after that. It was a weird time, and it's been weird discussing it. Because he wasn't a father. And the emotional baggage I brought into my relationship with Diana early on, I was scared of fatherhood. I didn't know how to deal with it. All I knew was what not to do. And and I'm not sure that's the, the, the best way to learn as you go. I'm not sure that's the best thing to do, but that's what I did. But obviously, my, 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 my thoughts on fatherhood changed because Danny and Kai. And now I can't imagine what my life would be like without Danny and Kai and obviously without Diane. It doesn't mean that emotional baggage I carry has gone away. It doesn't mean it's easier every day. It doesn't mean I don't have challenges. But there is still emotional baggage that I bring. And as I was preparing for this sermon and thinking about things, you know, we shouldn't be carrying this baggage we might have. It's not up to us to carry this baggage. God has willingly offered to carry it for us and turn what others might perceive as baggage into blessings. And as I discuss this, I want to invite the worship team back up because it's not our responsibility to carry the baggage. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, Come to me, all you, who, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Psalm fifty-five twenty-two: Cast your cares onto the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. By his death on the cross, Jesus has offered to take the baggage from us. Yes, so many of us might be carrying around baggage that we don't need to carry around. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It doesn't happen overnight. It's, for me, it's a continual process. But the way I see it, we can't truly embrace the love languages of our spouses if we're focused on the baggage we're carrying. If we're so focused on us and our baggage or whatever baggage we might perceive that they have with them, it's going to be difficult for us to do what God has in store for us, to live the life that he has for us, to love our spouses as he wants us to love them. And whatever your baggage may be, it's time to let it go.
it's not baggage that we're carrying. It's blessings waiting to happen. If we're willing to listen to God and open to receive it from him. It's time to let go and let God.